I don't often speak on Mother's Day or Father's Day on the subject. I stopped on Mother's Day because I had women tell me it was the most painful day of the year for them. They'd either lost children in infancy, uh, in miscarriages, or uh, it was a negative day in their life. And so uh, I backed off. I quit doing it. I'm doing Father's Day, which is exceptional because I know more about being a father than a mother. And uh, I feel led of God to do it. So let me read you a, uh, a, one of the most marvelous stories in all of literature. It will never get better or more moving than Luke 15. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, which is really mislabeled. It's the parable of the father's heart. The story is about the father, and he just happens to raise two rebellious sons. But it tells you how this father breaks all custom, all propriety in that culture. He seems to break every rule in being a loving father. It, it, uh, in the original audience was shocked to hear this. And the reason the stories are told I must be true to interpretation, was not to tell us how to raise families. That was not its intent. Its intent is he's addressing the religionists of the day, the very conservative fundamentalists called Pharisees, and he's addressing them and giving a defense why God the Son could hang out with sinners and feel comfortable. They are judging him. How is it if you're God's Son, Messiah, and you're holy, how is it that you could be and feel at ease with sinners? And this term sinners here is not your garden variety. We're talking about thieves. We're talking about crooks. We're talking about prostitutes. We're talking about bad, bad people. How can it be that the Son of God could hang out with them? It's like a hell's angel guy I grew up with wanted to meet me at a bar in Point Richmond. Would I be biblical to meet him? Several hoods just said yes. <laughs> I think it would have been totally legitimate. What would it have done to you? No, no, you don't have to fake it. I already know what you do as a whole. You, you have no business there. Well, I, I've been trying to win this guy to Christ since the ninth grade. And he calls and says, meet me at this bar. It's not the best place to do evangelism, but it's better than nothing. Okay? So, we're going to come to this narrative, but I think there's four things we can learn from this narrative about being a father that I hope can be practical and applicable in your own life. Verse 11, Jesus continued. He's told about a sheep being found, and they threw a party. A woman found her engagement ring, a coin. There's a party. Now, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he, he must have landed among the Gentiles or some very rebellious Jews. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, notice what he didn't say. Father, I love you. He didn't say that. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You sometimes wish that's all you had to do to make them happy. Give them a goat. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost and is found. 
The Bible said in Ephesians 5.1, we should imitate God the Father in love. Imitate God, it says. And as you read the Old Testament, you have these different analogies of God. God is as compassionate towards us, Psalms 103 says, as a father is toward his children. What's this analogy? What are you comparing man with God? God gave it to us. According to Ephesians 3, every family in heaven and earth is named after God's family. And that word named there means takes its nature and character from the family in the heavens. That's a profound verse. Every family in heaven, so what family's in heaven? As far as I understand, the Trinitarian family, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and on the earth, they all derive the template, the parable, the outline of what family is to be like is modeled after the family of the Trinity. So family life is meant to reflect God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. An amazing statement in Ephesians 3. All family life is to be modeled on husband-wife relationship. Hey, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to them as the church submits to them. This is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and his church, and I want to emulate it between family life. It's right there, the model. The mystery is nobody ever knew that marriage was patterned off, off, off the Trinitarian family relationship, or that Christ and his church had no clue of such a thing. But you've got Hebrews 12. He disciplines as a father. So now we come to this story. And uh, there's four things I see in it that I think will be applicable to us who are fathers and raising children. The first thing is unconditional love, unquestioned. Uh, I wish you realized the shock the story had on the Pharisees. It is an outrageous, insulting story to their ears. They're not used to this. This is patriarchal home. Uh, Under the law of Moses, they were said to stone a rebellious son. Did you ever read that? It's in the Bible. Now, because they were living under Rome, they were not allowed to do capital punishment. That's why even killing Christ, they had to go through the Romans to get to do capital punishment. But if you were back with Moses under a theocracy, you could stone your child with the village elder's help, and there would be no question. The big issue we have, even as we raise families, what did God hand you from the womb? A wonderful, saved, godly child do they begin? We, I grew up with a proverb that goes this way. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they get old, they won't depart from it. And we took that as a promise of salvation. And the issue was, if you raise them right, they will turn out right. Anybody grow up on that? Some of you are ashamed to raise your hand. But yeah, we grew up on that. That's not true. Proverbs 17, 21 says, the mother of a fool has great sorrow. 
When do they start being a fool? From the womb? What corrupted Cain to kill his brother? Nature, not nurture. But we had a whole generation of us that said, if I do everything right, my kids have to turn out right. And guess what? They turned out the way they chose to be, and you've lived with a ton of guilt ever since. I must not have done things right. No, you should have never had them. <laughs> because you gave birth to sinners that are strong-willed as you, and they picked their way. It's not nurture, it's nature. Nurture has, but have you ever seen a good child come from a bad home? Okay, and I've seen good, uh, bad children come from good homes. So there's a lot out there on this matter of how should our home go. We start with this dad. The boy comes one day and he said, Dad, <clears throat> if I gave a vernacular, a vernacular of what he said, it'd be like this. He comes, Dad, I wish you'd drop dead so I can get my inheritance. That's literally what he was doing culturally. When he said, give me my inheritance, nobody asked for an inheritance while the parent was alive. It seems in the story there's no mention of the mother, but the very request was a death wish. Dad, I don't love you, but I'd sure like to have your property. That's what he's saying. And the shocker is instead of forming a stoning committee and voting him out of the will, the dad complies. That is an amazing. I'm sure the Pharisees were scratching their heads and said, you idiot. <laughs> the boy deserves to be killed. But he says to his dad, no love lost, uh, you know what? I'm tired of being your son. I don't like you that much anyway, but you can at least give me my share of the inheritance. Younger son, the older son got two-fifths. Younger son would get three-fifths. Uh, and, and the dad, he, he does nothing but comply. He gives it to him. And so he goes, goes out, spends everything with prostitutes, winds up with Gentiles, I think, with running around with the hogs, uh, brings family shame, family dishonor. Uh, there's everything about this boy that deserves to call him a jerk. And his older brother is in the same category, and we'll see why. What does God want from you when he gave you sinners to raise? Uh, if you don't have unconditional love to offer, I don't think, I think child rearing is going to ruin you. You can't hold up because they're going to disappoint. Especially if you get one like this that just goes all out against all propriety. But the dad in the story never stops loving this boy. He never has a cutoff day. You do that one more time, I won't stop loving you. Now, you may not let him drive the car, but can you stop loving him? You do that one more time, one more time, 
A lot of children have been raised with nothing but ultimatums. If you've been raised, I'll always love you. And especially the men are the worst about it. That's why the boys always love their mother more than the dad. Because the dad is the disciplinarian supposed to be. Today he's the dad. Today the dads are the prodigal. We can't find any dads. There's a big difference between having sex and being a dad. Thank you dads for being here. I hope you're being a dad. Sex is biological. Fatherhood is love. Fatherhood is love. And so he shows him that. Second thing that I think he brings to it is shameless, shameless love. That in a culture of shame and of status, uh, this dad just is a contrast. His reputation has been soiled. He probably was a city elder. Uh, He's now known with being the sap who gave his boy wealth instead of discipline. Uh, You'd say he spoiled the boy. Uh, We would twist all kinds of interpretations here. Jesus told the story. But he's now in the town. Are you the one that had a rebellious son? Are you the one that gave away a stupid request? Are, are you the son? Are you the father of the stupid, rebellious boy? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Are, are you the father of the C minus student? Yes, I am. I had a pastor friend of mine. He adopted two children, a girl and a boy. The girl was a whiz, out of the park academic, became a lawyer. The boys struggled academically. Both children adopted, I believe, from different homes. Raised the boys, struggled academically, struggled with grades. And he told me, I had to say twice as much to my boy as my girl. Dad loves you no matter what grades you make. The A student was easy. You're bringing me honor. You're bringing me uh, status. You're bringing... I am the proud father of a 4.0 student. My girl's off the chart. Over here, my boy's struggling to pass. Who do I love the most? Well, here this dad seems to be shameless, and he became known, I think, for this one thing, Watch what it says in verse 20. After the boy has gone broke, he sinned. Hunger is is what makes him think of home, not his love for his dad. It never does say he loved his dad. I'm hungry. Dad, could you make me alone? I'm thought of you and mom. What do you want? How much you need this time? You don't love your daddy. You already proved that. You wish me dead. But this old dad was known in the village of standing at the entrance of the roadway. This wasn't city. This was a village, one road. He was known for the daily watch. Because when the boy finally comes, 
soiled by the hog pen, soiled by the prostitutes, soiled by the reputation, soiled by being a jerk and a rebel. It says the dad saw him a long ways off. So the dad wasn't casually looking. No, 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 no. Dad had a daily ritual. Will he ever come home? I'm looking. You only know that when you let your kids take the car at 16 and you're watching at the door. <laughs> when are they coming home? Did they wreck the car? Are they all right? What have they done? You got to be a parent to know that watch. Especially if your girl goes with a guy that you think looks like a thug. Oh boy, I want to go on the date. <laughs> Kept watching. Finally, he sees the figure of the boy. He's coming. He stinks. He looks uh, tattered. Probably has the uh, manure and the slop. If you've been around pigs, it's messy. And he watches him. And of all things, when he saw him, his heart was filled with compassion. Instead of hate, I'm going to tell him off. I'm going to let him know the family rules. And what are you coming back for? None of that. That's you and I. We want to, our pride, we're going to set him straight. None of this is on this father's heart. I'm going to show him compassion. And when he comes... He threw, he, he's, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and smothered him in kisses. It's a present tense. He kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed. Kenneth Weiss said he, he kissed him gently. Some translations, he smothered him with kisses. Now, he hadn't taken a shower. He hadn't got clean enough to be kissed. But love knows how to kiss even when they're sloppy even when they're soiled. And he did something. I've said it before. In, in the Orient, you don't owe men, men in positions, kings, priests, rulers, and senior citizens don't run to youth. They don't run to youth. They're wearing long robes. They could trip. It's just a matter of age and honor. You don't run to youth. By the way, youth, I don't have to get up for you, but you ought to get up for me. If you were taught anything. That's right. My kids were never allowed to stay seated when adults came in the room. That's called respect. That our culture knows nothing about. Everything's cool. No, it's disastrous. It is still nice to open a door for a woman. Carolyn makes me eat those words. Because <laughs> Dr. Walbert said, you could always tell a Dallas man, and we're listening, he always gets the door for his wife. And one day, we're going to the car, and she's going ahead. She said, where's my Dallas man? I said, I'm a Bay Area man. <laughs> Dr. Walver, don't ruin it for us. <laughs> he ran. He broke all protocol. He kisses, ceremonially dirty. Because what is it? 
I'm not ashamed that I love the boy. He ashamed me. He shamed the family name. He squandered our wealth, ruined our family name. But I still love him. Matter of fact, I don't just love him. I feel a mercy inside of me welling up. Now, you've got to know there are so many folks, no, no, no. If you, if you leave, you're never coming back. If you do this, you're never coming back. they got 18 ways they can write them out, write them off, write them out, write them off. We're talking about the Father's heart here, not yours. This is the Father's heart. I cannot tell you how many times the model of God the Father has restrained me and rebuked me and determined my behavior. I was always uh, the hardest on Deborah, being the oldest child. And I grew up with a disciplinarian father. So my first child was going to be the model. And I was on her in a moment. Boy, and just thank God it didn't have boys. Girls are easier in the younger years. They catch up, though. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just strict and, and disciplined. And you better... And this, by the time Elizabeth came, she hardly, I just look at her, you know, and that was it. You finally wear down. Cool it. Everything isn't as big as it was with the first child. Do you know what I mean? The child does. That's why David said, you brat, we were raised different. Were. My dad's much stricter, harder, and sometimes out of bounds. But there's been times I wanted to physically, corporately discipline her or whatever, this and that. And uh, you know the hardest part of the uh, discipline is to make her sit in my lap so we both could cry over the whipping. That was the hardest. Then it broke my heart. I didn't have children to beat on them. I didn't have children to spank. I had children to love. If the spanking is for their good, it really ought to happen in the younger years that do they think you care? Don't spank your children in anger. There's never a place in the Bible that said that you ought to spank in anger. You ought to spank to teach. Spank to teach. Speak to change behavior, rebuke, verbal, instruct. But here the dad, I'm going to run to him, I'm going to smother him, and he's right there in this small village. All of this is being observed. And so he says, the father uh, happens to love you, and he's not ashamed to say he loves you. Uh, Dave King, when he used to be in this church, uh, got me to go to a Bible study in San Quentin. And we went there, and there's about 20 men in the Bible study. We all just sat with chairs like in a half circle. And uh, we were there, and I was doing a Bible study on Romans 5 that night. That uh, while we were yet ungodly, while we were still sinners, while we were weak, at the right time, at the right time, in the Greek, in due season, it's a word kairos. It means right opportune moment. Christ died for us. I was in that study, 
And these men were in there for various crimes, everything from killing to other things. At one moment in that study, I, I remember saying, men, I want you to bring up the worst thing you've ever done. Hold it in your mind until I tell you to let it go. Just bring it up. Conjure up. Killing, robbery, rape, whatever puts you in San Quentin. I want you to think on it right now. Just, just hold it, though. And all of a sudden, you start hearing men groan. Say, ah, and this one man, he finally yelled. I said, how long do I have to hold it? It's killing me. I want to let it go. And I said, I want you to imagine it's at this point that Jesus decided to walk through the door and say, I'll go to the cross for you. For when we were at our worst, when we were at our worst, at the right season, at the right time, not when we were in church, not when we got baptized, not when we gave an offering, when we were the worst we could ever be, he said, I'm going to pick this moment to take your place. Amen. This is called shameless love. I'll make you mine by burying your shame in a shameful death next to the city dump of Jerusalem because I will be treated like a dog. They said, we don't want you in the city limits. So they put me outside the city limits where the dog eats the corpses. I bore your shame on a cross. Everything on the cross is considered to be under a curse. God is not ashamed to say he loves you. And he knows the worst thing you've ever done. The worst thing you've ever done. And he stepped into the scaffolds and let the guillotine fall on him. I want to die for their worst behavior. This is the shameless love of God. And he said in Romans 8, For if God did not spare his only begotten son for you, will he not with him freely give you all things? God's already done the hardest thing in the world to love you. The rest is easy. The Father had a shameless love. Thirdly, the Father's love was forgiving and celebrative. He not only forgave him, but he threw a party. Have you ever seen people, you, you, you could just pick it up. You say, say how are you getting along with that person? Oh, I forgave him. Yeah, that's done. I just don't want to ever see him again. We won't be going to lunch anymore. Oh, and you said you forgave them. When God forgives, he throws a party. You don't get it. When God forgave you, he threw a party in heaven. And I think back in 58, 15th and cutting. You mean to tell me heaven threw a party the night a 14-year-old boy went forward and accepted Christ? He said, that's what I did. I expect you to throw a party if you find a sheep. I expect you to throw a party if you find a coin. And you better believe when I find a son, I'm going to throw a party. God is a party God. He throws a party when sinners come home. He's a party. He forgives. He celebrates. And that is love. I, I can't imagine throwing a bass in the neighborhood for the son that shamed me, 
for the son that rejected me, for the son that wished me dead. I forgive you so much, son. I'm giving you back the family ring. I'm giving you the family robe. And we're going to throw a public party and say, forgiven, forgiven. You were this, but you're now this. We celebrate. What a wonderful, wonderful kind of God. Not only forgives you, but he embraces you. Will you ever love me again? Can you ever love again? I think the most pitiful thing I've seen in life and in church is people who have determined they will never love again. Because it's always risky to love, is it not? Isn't one of the craziest things in the world to meet a guy, fall in love, and agree to have children, and you don't have a clue of what they're going to be? Why did you do it? I was in love. And you were. But what a risk you took. It was C.S. Lewis said, if you dare love anything, you run the risk of being disappointed. He said, love an animal, and they can die. Love a friend, they can die, they can move, they can whatever. If you love, he said, you are taking the gamble and the risk that it may not be reciprocated. But then he said, but if you refused to love, you will put your heart in a coffin where it will go unable to love for the only place safe from the risk of love is hell. C.S. Lewis, Four Loves. Well, to see the final thing, is uh, unshared love to raise a son, two sons that don't love what you love. And that comes with the elder brother. And here are the elder brother's in the house, but he doesn't have the father's heart. And he shames his dad as bad as the younger son. Because here the dad throws the party, it, no doubt a village party, guests coming in there, and in front of all the guests, he says, son, he gets mad in the field, he's outraged that the son has been welcomed back, and all of the uh, fanfare that dad has shown, and he's already mad, and by the time he gets to his dad, the party's going, and, and dad said, come on, son, come on. Come into the party. He said, not on your life. Not on your life. Here I've been slaving. See, he turned sonship into slavery. Instead of him saying, I'm working out of gratitude because I get all your property that I have you as my father. He said, I'm nothing but a slave around here. Wait, had not dad fed him? Had not dad blessed him? Had not everything he had in his life came from the same dad? Yeah, but no, no, I'm just in it for what I get, and I don't like the fact you gave away a portion of the inheritance. I'm mad. I will not come to your party. Who is the elder brother? He's the Pharisees. Jesus said, I've come to welcome sinners home. I've come to save. And you Pharisees and Judaism, 
You don't join with me in throwing a party that I'm saving prostitute tax collectors and people that don't fit your category of being acceptable. I keep loving them, reaching out to them, saying God loves you, God wants you. You can't have God-loving sinners. You got to judge them. You got to hold the line, you know. This is the God of Moses. This is the God of Mount Sinai. This is the God, you pick up sticks on the Sabbath and we will kill you. Numbers 15, a boy just gathers sticks and they stone him. And Jesus said, I've come to represent the God you've distorted. The God that I represent has an unconditional love. He so loved the world, not everybody that's righteous, the world, that he would give his only begotten son. And Judaism had lost this kind of God. It was rules, 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 washings, rules, ceremonial washings. Every, I, I just asked an acquaintance, do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? He said, I think about it every night. Well, you haven't answered, do you know? He said, I'm not sure. I said, what chance do you have? He said, I go to confession. I said, how often? Once every six months. And he was sincere as he could be. He just didn't know. I know I'm not, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I try not to do the big ones, but I'm still not sure I can get in. Unshared love, I think one of the most painful things I've seen is parents who can't leave an inheritance to kids who do not have their values. They don't want their money thrown away on women, drugs, this or that. Their money came to them from God. They have Christian values. And they said, I cannot give you my resources because I want it used for godly things. Or to raise kids in your home that say, uh, I don't love Christ. I don't buy the Bible. I've gotten smarter than you. I, I don't buy your worldview. You mean you don't love the hearts of those who raised you. You don't love the woman that bore you. You don't love what the Father loves. You don't share, but you sure want to be there for the reading of the will, right? Of which God gave them their wealth. God blessed them. God gave all the material, but that's all you want, just like both boys. Neither one wanted the dad. They wanted what he had. I want to say this. There's something sometimes that can sound sickening about, I, I just want to go to heaven. Is that all you want? <coughs> what if Jesus wasn't there? I, well, I still want heaven. Matter of fact, I wouldn't mind a harem. In other words, Jesus had nothing to do with it. You don't love Jesus. Now, I hear people do that. They'll quote the gospel. Have you ever come to treasure Jesus? A brother just did a funeral, and he told about the days. He would just say, God, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm going to hell. Leave me alone. 
And finally, as he shared, I was shown who Jesus was. And I thought, what have you been running from? This is what I've been running from. Jesus. God has a great heart. I hope you parents with prodigal children that don't buy your values, they may have even gone into another lifestyle altogether, question you on everything. All I would say is God kept loving you when you were lost. God wasn't ashamed to say he gave his son for you when you were lost. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. And don't blame your raising skill. Uh, many of you, Father's Day is painful because the prodigals in America are now dads that have abandoned children, abandoned home, abandoned wives. There's as many prodigal dads as there are prodigal sons. We can't find dads. I talked to different ones. I talked to a young man the other day about marriage and whatever, and in his sincerity, he said, I don't know what that is. I never grew up with a man in the home. Some of you men might be the only fathers our young people know if you've got enough room in your heart to include them. Is there enough room in your heart to love a boy or girl and treat them with fatherly love? Or is all your memories of a negative father? Or thank God for those of you that had a father that was kind, tender, and might have reminded you of God might have reminded you of God. He's a wonderful God. He keeps telling me, be the kind of father I am. I want to read you one clip, and then we'll close. There's no day wasted in being a father. Let me read you a story. It is said of Boswell, the famous biographer of Samuel Johnson, that he often referred to a special day in his childhood when his father took him fishing. The day was fixed in his adult mind, and he often reflected upon many of the things his father had taught him in the course of their fishing experience together. And after, and having heard of this particular excursion so often, it occurred to someone much later to check the journal that Boswell's father kept and determine what had been said about the fishing trip from the parental perspective. Turning to that date, the reader found only one sentence in the father's journal. Gone fishing today with my son. A day wasted. A day wasted. Please redeem the moments. I tell of taking my girl dropping her off at an airport and all she wanted was another hour to talk. But I had something in the church that was that valuable, that important that I moved the type A person. I got to get back. I got to get back. I lost a golden moment because it would have been time wasted. You don't waste time investing in your child. Redeem the time. Our Father, 
Help us to emulate you in all that we do. And especially in this matter of raising imperfect children, imperfect human beings. If we don't hit, get your heart, Father, we don't have a chance to act, think, and be what we ought to be in a world full of disappointments, full of failures, full of people that uh, may decide to leave us and use us. Help us, help us to have your heart in our reaction to children, sinners, saints. Teach us to love like you. You're a template. You're a parable of love that none of us could ever surpass. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for giving not anything I wrung out of you. You gave a son when I was at my worst. I bless your holy name forever and ever. Amen. Keep telling people, come back to two services next week, then the summer vacation time. Wear your cutoffs and wear your... No, no. Just have a good time. You're dismissed.